So, first of all, why don't you tell us who you are? Um, I'm Mary-Kate Fain. I'm the co-founder of Spinster.xyz, which is a feminist social media site, and the founder of 4W, an American feminist online magazine for news and radical feminist writing. And, okay, like, tell me a bit about your background, too. Like, where did you come from? Like, how did you get here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How did um, you get into feminism? What's your political background? It was a long journey with many stops along the way. I'm from Philly, and I went to school up at Ithaca, New York. And my journey to feminism um, was a little slow at first. Like, in high school, I was not politically aware. I really didn't care about politics or feminism, although I was in an abusive relationship and didn't really have the words to describe that. It wasn't until I got to college that I started talking to a lot of my female friends and really starting to realize these similar patterns and stories that I kept hearing over and over and over again. And it got me interested in the concept of sexual violence. So I uh, started volunteering at the Tompkins Advocacy Center, which is a um, domestic violence and sexual assault crisis center up in upstate New York. And really it was there that I started to actually gain some sort of like feminist political awareness. Um, They had required reading books. And so I was starting to read their books and just starting to talk to women more about all of this violence that was happening in our lives. At the same time, I was starting to develop a closer relationship with my mother who had been a history of male violence all throughout her life. Um, Not the hands of my father, but just kind of leading up to the point until she met my dad And hearing her story and her mother's story and how um, there was really this intergenerational violence that was occurring. And this started getting my wheels turning. So I became really interested in feminism at this point. And I decided that I wanted to work at a a women's nonprofit. After college, I worked at YWCA um, outside of Philadelphia for about two years doing social media and um, building their website. After that, I took a little bit of a pause. I got really into animal rights activism. I went vegan and I joined an organization called Direct Action Everywhere, where we were engaged in nonviolent civil disobedience on behalf of animal rights. And this sort of became a little bit of a sidetrack from my feminist work that I was doing, but it really ended up shaping a lot of my views on activism and on nonviolence and um, on politics in general. So I started to get back into feminism again while I was working in animal rights. And at the same time, I'm making money as a software engineer, although that wasn't really that politically relevant. Um, But I started to get back into feminism when people in my animal rights group started saying things like, you can't say eggs come from female chickens. That's transphobic. Or you can't say milk comes from female cows. That's transphobic. Actually, people were saying that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So they're applying gender identity ideology to animals? Yes. Yes, to non-human animals. Wow. Yeah. And I started to realize how bad this was. And at that point, I sort of fell down the internet rabbit hole of gender critical feminism. And I had already considered myself a radical feminist. Um, My basis of feminist understanding was from reading feminists that I considered radical feminists. But then I really started to get into the gender ideology debate 
And at this time, I'm debating my roommates who are also my comrades in this animal rights group. And we're just constantly fighting over this. Um, it ended up turning out that all was the three of them, all three of them became non-binary and I became what is considered a turf. <laughs> yeah. So th we sort of had some diverging paths there, but after getting kicked out of that animal rights group, I then decided to like, okay, this is something that's really important to me. And I kind of returned to my original feminist roots. Um, I'm still vegan, still advocate for animals when I get the chance, but I've decided to really focus on this because I see it interfering with every other issue that I care about. Like this issue just is constantly getting in the way. Right. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to me that trans ideology and this gender identity ideology, trans activism, whatever you want to call it, infiltrated the animal rights movement. I mean, it's also like you can see the way that, I mean, essentially, I think probably almost every single like kind of progressive activist cause has also kind of bought into all this. I mean, we obviously yeah. see it in, in, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, in, you know, trans activists will attach gender identity to race um, and mm -hmm. colonialism. Um, obviously, we see it in, in feminism. Um, why, why do you think that is, like, particularly, I mean, you have experience in animal rights activism. I've never been involved in animal rights activism before, so I don't know much about that crowd. Um, but why do you think that that group would start talking about gender identity ideology? So I think you're right that this has infiltrated all progressive, woke sort of organizations. And I think that that's true specifically because women are always the ones who have to do the work for everyone else. And so, you know, if we're talking about race and women have to put aside their issues to talk about race, if we're talking about animals, women have to put aside their issues to talk about animals. I think in the animal rights movement, it's particularly bad. Like I was noticing it there years before I really started to see it in some of these other places. And I think that's because the animal rights movement is 80% women. And that's like on the ground level. In the leadership, it's not like that. Leadership is the opposite, 80% men, of course. But on the ground level, it's really overwhelmingly a young liberal women. And so women, of course, are trained to put aside our own needs in order for whatever group is the most oppressed. Um, and we see this a lot in a lot of the intersectional circles of uh, veganism and of animal rights. So there's a really big pattern going on right now where rather than focus on the animal rights issues, a lot of intersectional vegans are switching their focus to focus on human communities that are marginalized and find ways to like make veganism relevant to them. Um, and whether or not you agree with animal rights, you know, that aside, but going from the premise that these people do come at this from an anti-speciesist perspective and do believe that animals should be equal to humans in terms of protection from harm, then what they're actually doing is they're putting aside billions and billions of lives for a few marginalized human lives. And it, it's, there's just like a real weird culture in animal rights right now where it's become like not woke to prioritize the ones that are your cause. I guess because you can't get woke cookies because... from them. <laughs> Right. Because, I mean, I feel like that's what's happened in feminism also is that, like, women who identify as feminists have stopped 
putting women first. And I've actually started engaging in a lot of woman hating and kind of misogynist behavior and saying, you know, and, you know, putting uh, all other causes in front of women, which is, is, is just so odd for feminism because the whole point of the feminist movement, of course, is to advocate for women. And like, it's, I find it, I find it strange because, you know, I don't know why women are sort of so opposed to just talking about women. I mean, it's like feminism is supposed to do everything, which is ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. feminism will fail for sure if if we sort of have those kinds of... Like, feminism is a specific analysis, and it's fine for it just to be that specific analysis. You know, it can't do everything, but it seems like a lot of people are demanding that of feminism, including feminists. Right. And I, I think that it's one thing to try to you know, highlight and marginalize the ways in which patriarchy oppresses other marginalized groups. But it's totally different to put aside the needs of women for, say, marginalized men of any particular sort, uh, just because they're marginalized. And if we want to talk about, like, certain groups of women that are oppressed, or even females, like, I do think there's an argument to talk about, like, a vegan connection to feminism. But I don't think we should put the needs of non-humans above the needs of human females in feminism. That's just, that's not what feminism is supposed to be. But you're completely right. That's what we see happening is everyone is above women in the like priority hierarchy, even in feminism. So you're, how old are you? 27, I think. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you have a kind of historic perspective because you're young, but to me, it seems like, I mean, there's a couple reasons that this could be going on. One of those reasons, these are just things that I think about and wonder about. I don't necessarily have answers. One of those reasons is like, I think that the way that sexism happens today is less obvious and overt than it it was in the past. So there's not these, like, in North America, I should say, this is not true globally. Um, but, you know, for example, in Canada, uh, in the United States, there's, you know, um, there's not so many kind of overt ways to fight mm-hmm. for women, aside from, um, you know, the reproductive rights movement, um, so right. for access to abortion, you know, because it's not like we can fight or need to fight for the right to vote, um, right. or the right to own property, or the right to access a university, um, the right to drive, uh, and, you know, we have sexual harassment laws in place, we have laws mm-hmm. against workplace discrimination, um, we are, of course losing our sex-based rights, thanks to this modern gender identity ideology thing. But, um, so I sort of wonder if maybe young women are struggling to find something to focus on, if that makes sense. I do think that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the... There's almost two sides of this. There's the young women of my generation who, and probably other generations as well, but I see it in mine, um, and younger, who say, 
like we're not oppressed anymore we don't need feminism and then there's the feminists who are trying to find things to be oppressed about but they lack the radical feminist analysis that looks at really some of these root causes like male violence and so they have to tack extra things onto it like gender identity and like kind of fill that bucket to give it some weight to say no look there is all this oppression um when really they could just say two words, male violence. And like, I think that's enough to have something to fight about. Um, but you're right, there isn't a lot in the United States and a lot of other Western countries, there's not a lot of codified discrimination. Although there is massive rampant sexism and violence against women and girls all throughout our societies. Right. And so yeah. it's interesting to me, because of course, it's it's the the, the women whose feminism has been rooted in second wave feminism or in radical feminism who are fighting um, things like prostitution, pornography, and, you know, specifically want to talk about male violence against women, so want to focus on domestic abuse as well. Um, and, you know, it's it's this sort of third wave liberal feminists who who I find don't talk about those things, particularly the issue of pornography and prostitution, which is ironic because I think those are the industries where you can see that, that right. sexism and misogyny still exists and really, and racism, of course, in really mm -hmm. overt ways. I think they do actually talk about it quite a lot, but they talk about it the opposite of how right. radical feminists. That's true. They do it. talk about it a lot. Yeah. Just not yeah, the they want to <laughs> legalize every form of prostitution. They want like all feminists should be empowered to watch pornography and participate in pornography. And like, that's their goal somehow. So, I mean, I, I saw that you tweeted the other day, you tweeted a video of a female cop being attacked by men at one of these protests. I don't remember where it was. Did you, do you know which? Me neither. Okay. Anyway, no. whatever. Uh, like a little over a week ago, I think. And you tweeted alongside the video, a female cop being dragged by male rioters, women stepping in to protect her. All I've seen for four days is male violence. And you got a lot of backlash for that tweet. I was sort of reading through some of the comments and looking at some things that people were saying online. And I was kind of surprised because I didn't really understand what people were uh, you know, like what, like first, what were people saying to you? Like, what were people angry about in terms of that tweet? Yeah, so there were two camps of criticism one which I think was valid, and one which I do, I don't think it was valid. Other people certainly disagree. Um, I'll say the valid one first. The first one was a criticism that I had misinterpreted the video, which I'm not sure. Yeah, still like I really tried to figure it out but I still to this day don't know the answer but they suggested that it wasn't a female cop being dragged against her will by protesters but what was actually happening was the cop was trying to arrest someone and was holding on to them intentionally to arrest that person while the group of protesters was, was trying to de-arrest that person and so she ended up getting dragged but she could have let go at any moment so that was one criticism was just that I had misinterpreted the video from what I saw. After rewatching it a couple times, I think it could have gone either way. Like I could have been right about my initial interpretation or they could be right about theirs. I've seen both of these sorts of things happen at protests that I've attended. So neither would surprise me. So if I misinterpreted the video and what was happening in that situation, honestly, mea culpa, I, I own that. 
But a lot of people did were not criticizing that. What instead they were criticizing was they were accepting the basis of my interpretation of the video, but then saying I was wrong for talking about male violence in this situation. Um, for example, some prominent Twitter troll uh, retweeted me and saying that I was reflexively defending a cop just because she's female. Um, other people were saying, really, all you've seen is male violence, as if to imply, I think, that I hadn't noticed the racial injustice happening right now around us. Um, you know, as if I wasn't involved in these protests four years ago, as if like I didn't know about systemic racism and police brutality. Um, and obviously I was being a little bit snarky. Everything I've seen is male violence. Like, yeah, I saw my cat earlier that day. Obviously I saw other things. Like, really? That's <laughs> literally all you saw? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> really no, but <laughs> surely you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen a think... lot of it. Let's say a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of this wider pattern of taking what someone, and I see this all across social media, but I see it happen to, you know, prominent women a lot more is taking like this one thing they say really out of context and blowing it out of proportion to then make some sort of character assassination on this person. And, um, and that is what happened. And it's what continues to happen. You know, anytime you say something that's mildly against the mainstream narrative, um, and I think it's especially common in the women's movement. I was really surprised to see some of the feminists piling on, especially talking behind my back on other social media platforms, which was, yeah. if you have a criticism, you can talk to me. <laughs> that, yeah, well, that's how I I heard about the tweet was because I saw people talking about it on Facebook. And, I, and mm -hmm. you know, I thought they were being pretty unfair. Um, and I was frustrated because... Yeah, I felt like they were representing you unfairly. And in general, I just don't like, I don't like, well, I don't like trashing. I don't like it when women who are supposed to be or claiming to be part of the feminist movement are publicly trashing. So trashing on social media. Um, and especially when they're intentionally, I think it's intentional because I don't think that it's that all these women are just not intelligent or able to think critically. Um, you know, they're intentionally misrepresenting. And obviously that happens to me like a lot endlessly. And it's really kind of like, I mean, it's maddening, but it's also really depressing because it's like, well, you know, how are we going to get anywhere if we all just keep you know, attacking one another and smearing one another and tearing each other apart? based on you know these these one-offs where you grab one little sentence and you kind of you know you exaggerate and and you know obvious obviously they know that mm -hmm. all you've seen is not just male <laughs> violence and i think that also obviously they know that you support these protests because you've been you've been tweeting about them and even if you hadn't i don't think it would be right. fair to assume that just because you tweeted that that doesn't mean that um, you don't support the, the protests and you're not opposed to racist police brutality, etc. Um, so I guess like, I mean, we could, we could say that part of this is common to social media, but it's also been going on for a long time. I wonder if you have any kind of analysis of that kind of behavior. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, just 
On a personal note, when I came into the women's movement, again, this time around as a radical gender critical feminist, I was so excited to have finally found my people, my sisters, you know, Um, having been sort of uh, disowned by a lot of the women who I considered my sisters before in the animal rights movement. I really felt broken as far as any sort of sisterhood. Um, I started writing a book in uh, when I was in a really angry state, when I was just trying to process, and one of the chapters was just titled, There's No Such Thing as Sisterhood. And so, like, that's the mental state that I was in before I found this, what from the outside seemed like this amazing sisterhood of radical feminists. So I was so excited to join this. And then almost immediately, it was like trashing, 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 trashing. And if it wasn't me, I was seeing it happen to someone else. And it really, I think, is a threat to not just the individual women, which I absolutely think it is a threat to them, but I think it's also a threat to the movement as a whole. And it's not just social media because this has been going on for 50 years at least. I mean, it might even be longer, but some of the earliest writing I was seeing about trashing in the movement was from back in the 70s. Um, Doreen Freeman wrote an article that was When I found it, it really made me feel like I'm not alone in what was happening to me. And it was just absolutely groundbreaking, I think. And the in the article, she talks about the harms of trashing and the patterns that she's seen. So she talks about some of the harms. Um, She eventually got together with a group of women who had experienced the same thing. She said that two of them had ended up checking themselves into a mental hospital. Almost all of them had dropped out of the movement at some point. And this is a pattern that's been going on for 50 years and it keeps happening. I know myself, I constantly feel pressured to drop out of the movement. I'm sure that you do as well. And we just have to keep fighting through it. But a lot of women don't have some sort of support system to help them when they're getting trashed. So she wrote that. And then Joanna Russ wrote um, a great essay called, uh, what is it called? Um, helplessness, uh, power and helplessness in the women's movement. Um, and that article really lays out a framework for this really self-destructive pattern of what she calls magic mamas and trembling sisters. And the magic mamas are women who get sort of propped up on this um, pedestal and they're expected to meet these insane standards of purity which are impossible because every faction has different standards that you're supposed to adhere to like if you're not pissing off the uh, you know the anti-political lesbian group then you're pissing off the like anti-right-winger group and like you're always pissing off some faction so it's impossible to meet these purity standards and then the trembling sister woman uh, uses your failures on a pedestal that you never wanted in the first place to tear you down. And this is something that we see over and over and over again. Any woman who has the tiniest degree of what I'll call success, although I think that's a questionable term here, is considered a target. I've seen it happen, obviously, to myself. I've seen it happen to you. I've seen it happen to tons of other, especially feminist writers who I see on social media. Um, one prominent feminist writer recently deactivated her Twitter, not because of hate from trans activist trolls, but because of feminist infighting and targeting. Um, she's back now, but that's a loss to the movement during that time period. Mm-hmm. It just, it just keeps going on and on and on. And there really isn't, as far as I've seen now, obviously I haven't been around for 50 years, but from what I've seen, the 
actions taken to sort of curb this pattern have mostly just been women speaking out about their experience. And that's really important. And we should continue to do that. But I'm really hoping to see at some point a tangible shift in women in the movement really trying to actively, proactively tackle this issue because I think it's really destroying women and the movement. Yeah, I mean, it obviously is destroying women in the movement because, I mean, what these people will often say who engage in this kind of trashing and these kinds of attacks um, is like, we don't need you. We don't want you. Like, we don't want you uh, to be a part of this movement. And it's like, mm -hmm. really? Really? You don't want women to be a part of the feminist movement? Like, mm -hmm. I think that we want the opposite thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think our yeah. goal is trying to push people out because they don't meet our, you know, ideological purity standards or whatever. I mean, if you're trying to, like, shave the movement down to just a, a small group of people who agree with everything that you think and say, like, I don't think that's the way to build a successful movement. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and of course, it, it's impossible, because every individual, like sub faction of feminism is trying, I don't want to say trying to do this, because I think if you ask them, they would say, no, we don't want to do that. But their behavior speaks differently, because they are doing that. And so every little sub faction is doing that. And so all, what are you going to end up with? Like 50 different tiny groups of women. And then necessarily those groups will end up trashing each other. <laughs> like the more you whittle it down, it, that's just another group to start trashing. Uh, because inevitably a woman will rise to some form of leadership within that. And leadership and achievement is the ultimate crime for a woman. And I think that a lot of and I've, I've seen this in other movements, too, but never as bad as in the women's movement. And I think that it's because women are not meant to be doing every single thing that you have to do to get anywhere in this world and in this movement. And so I think that so many women, even feminists, even women who are trying to actively fight gender roles and fight patriarchy, we are really just trained to see a woman who's excelling, who's achieving anything as a threat, as someone we should be jealous of, as someone who's out of her lane, as someone who is too um, male identified, or like any of these other terms that we use to talk about women who are having any form of success at what they're doing. And it's really just replicating a lot of the same patriarchal patterns over and over and over again, but but internally. And it's really self-destructive because the patriarchists basically just found out a way to like have us just eat our own. So they don't have to do anything. They're sitting back like sipping tea while we're here destroying each other. Right. I mean, yeah, I see it as quite sexist in a lot of ways because I sort of, I think that a lot of it has to do with wanting or expecting women to be weak and kind of delicate and easy to destroy. So you're right that it's that um, a lot of women don't want other women to be leaders and they don't want them to have success, but they also don't like when a woman is kind of unbreakable. So, you know, if they go after a woman, she doesn't kind of like crumble into pieces and then mm -hmm. and cry and disappear but you know kind of keeps going keeps doing the work keeps standing up for herself like doesn't just kind of like grovel and, and you know essentially act like somebody's 
you know, like any feminine stereotype. I was going to say like, right. like your mother, but sort of, you know, I guess overly emotional, I would say. I mean, because, you know, this is not how all mothers are, but I'm, I'm obviously talking about stereotypes that, but, yeah. you know, will comfort you and you're right, you're right, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Like if they don't do that, then that's kind of it. Like, and, and, and yeah, and then you do, you get, you get labeled male identified. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just so ironic because to me it yeah. is so obviously sexist. Yeah. And I think there's also a double-edged sword there because so your only way out of it in this scenario is to grovel and apologize. If you do that, they're just going to keep owning and controlling you. You can be tough and show no emotion, act like it's not getting to you at all. And then you're a nasty bitch gotten that one from a fellow feminist (laughs) Um, or you can show that it's hurting you and be honest and vulnerable about hey this has been really upsetting to me I I've tried all these tactics honestly um, and at one point I tried posting basically a, a vulnerable moment saying like this is really getting to me and then they basically gaslight you and say like how dare you make yourself the victim here when you're the one who hurt us blah 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 and as if like you don't have a right to be upset um, or hurt about people who are spending all day online trashing you personally mm-hmm. and, and it's personal it's not about the ideas because I think that that's something that a lot of people, when you talk about this, they will stop you and say, like, well, I like I have a right to criticize your ideas. And they are absolutely right. They do. And they have a right to trash, too, I guess. I don't think they should, but they have a right. But it's not about the ideas because there's there's just this real difference. You can tell when it goes from criticizing an idea, a thought, a concept, a policy into criticizing the person. And um, I think that it was... Joe Freeman, who wrote that people who are trashing use the verb, like use to be verbs versus people who are criticizing use to do. And so when you're giving genuine criticism on someone's actions, you say uh, you did this and it caused X response and this is hurtful in X, Y, Z ways, you know, versus when you're trashing, you say you are an abusive person, you are a hurtful person, you are uh, not a feminist, you you know, you're talking about the person themselves versus their actions. And actions and ideas, I think there's a lot of room for criticism there. And I think that this is one of the biggest shifts that needs to happen right now is I think we need to be looking really critically at the way that we communicate and maybe start using some frameworks that exist and are used in other movements in order to start using our communication more effectively towards each other. If that's, of course, if w- women are willing to do the work of trying to end trashing. Right. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah. So I, I definitely, I do see that. Um, and then I also see women trashing other women, other feminists, sort of on the basis of ideas and claiming that this is about criticism or political just agreement or whatever, but I find that it's not done in good faith so that it will be done on the basis of rumors and rumor mongering. So it'll be like, you know, she said this or she she thinks this or she's, you know, right aligned. Or I actually saw somebody call spinster fascist adjacent on Facebook. <laughs> I was like, oh, a good one. Uh, mm, OK. <laughs> 
but you know, like these kinds of things, and then and that and then, but it's rooted in nothing. So it's sort of right. rooted in these vague. It's like, oh well, she interviewed so and so, or she talked to so and so, or she sat on this panel, or she didn't. She didn't tweet about this, or she didn't post about this on Facebook, or she posted this position. And you know, I've seen somebody who isn't a feminist also share a similar position. Therefore, you know, it's sort of these unfair yeah. leaps and these unfair accusations. Um, I feel by association. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the spinster thing is so ridiculous to me. The main thing that we got criticism for on spinster uh, along those lines was the fact that we used a particular software that conservatives had built. And that's it. Like, right. So that, we that's... used the software conservatives had built. And never mind the fact that we forked their software and made it our own and made it different. And like, but no, you used something conservatives built. And I mean, there are people out there driving Volkswagens to this day and we're not canceling them, but whatever. Spinsters, fascist adjacent, I guess, because we used evil software. (laughs) Um, So like, just for those who don't know, I wonder if you can sort of briefly explain what Spinster is and and why you created it. Yeah, of course. So Spinster um, at spinster.xyz is a defederated social media platform. Um, defederated is it's basically like Twitter, but rather than having a single centralized source of truth and power, um, it's part of the Fediverse, which is a collection of thousands and thousands, I think there's six or 7,000 different servers that all sort of have a little micro social network, and those networks are all connected until you block one, and then you sever that connection. There's been a lot of that. Um, but the goal of Spinster is we were seeing a lot of women getting kicked off of mainstream social media like Twitter for expressing very simple ideas like men can't be women or misgendering someone. Um, for example, you were kicked off, I believe, for saying, yes, that's him to yeah. someone who identifies as a woman. And so we were just sort of sitting back watching all this happen. And um, after I got fired from my job for writing about feminism, I had some spare time. And so my partner and I created Spinster. And it uh, we didn't build the code from the ground up. Like I said, we used code that already existed in order to make the process easier and affordable for us to actually do. And so now we have a community of about eight or 9,000 women uh, who are able to speak freely about women's issues. We are not a total free speech platform. We do moderate content based on, we don't allow hate speech, we don't allow harassment, we don't allow calls to violence. Um, so we're not a total free speech platform. But there are other places on the Fediverse that you can go if you want that. So what we really are, it's sort of become a community of women who have been either kicked off Twitter or are interested in speaking to the women who have been kicked off Twitter. Um, And it's actually become quite a nice little community now. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, you know, when, when when you say conservatives created the software, who created the software? I was created by a man called Andrew Torba, who's part of a company called Gab. Oh, okay. So Gab is their issue. Got it. Um, And for the record, it's just got to be super clear with these people. Um, We're not even running Gab Social. We're running a fork of Gab Social, which is called Soapbox. um, And Soapbox is a fork of Gab. So we're not even running Gab. (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. it seems like there's a little bit confu- of confusion around this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of degrees <laughs> of separation, but they find one thing that they can pin on you, and then they use that as sort of like the jumping point to imagine your whole situation. So it's like Spinster uses Gab, Mary-Kate founded Spinster, and then she tweets all she sees is male violence in the middle of the police brutality riots, and they're like, she's fastest adjacent. She's a Nazi. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you got fired from your job for writing about feminism. What happened there? Yeah, so the short version is I wrote an article called Non-Binary is the New Not Like Other Girls, and it's deeply rooted in misogyny. I published this on my personal Medium account with a link to it from my personal website, and this article basically made the rounds in the Philly tech community. People got really mad and started writing to my employer, and within a week of publishing the article, I think, I'd have to double check, but pretty shortly after publishing that, I was fired. I had never received any warning. I had never received any behavioral complaint or um, or work performance complaint before. And they did explicitly say in my firing letter that it was specifically because of that article. They then, after I left, um, which I know because some of my coworkers told me, basically had a session where they called the company together and talked about their priority to safety and diversity and inclusion. Um, and that's why they got rid of me to be so inclusive. Wow, that was yeah. inclusive and <laughs> supportive yeah. of diversity. <laughs> yeah, and this, there was sort of a lot that led up to this. Um, they had been struggling financially, and they had actually just fired 50% of the female engineers, and I had been one of the outspoken people trying to fight this, essentially, and hold them accountable for what they had done. Um, so I'm not entirely sure that it was 100% motivated by that specific article. Um, I think that they were happy to have an excuse to get rid of me. And that was one that was acceptable to the community because if they had fired me based on my organizing, that would be illegal. But because they fired me based on an article I wrote, that is acceptable and everyone can applaud them for being so woke. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to find other work since then? Not really, honestly, no. Um, I... I'm doing Spinster, and that makes us a tiny, like, it basically covers our server costs. Um, I do 4W, and I have a Patreon where people can go and support the writing there, and I do make a little bit of money there. But um, no, I have not been able to get another job since then, especially now with the economic crash, it's even harder. Um, It's actually been a real struggle. And this is why I say that um, success as a feminist activist is a myth. I think that I have, I'm really grateful for the success of my platforms I've had. I'm really grateful for all the women who make Spinster amazing and a great community. I'm really grateful for all the people who read my writing and who support on Patreon. Um, but I'm living with family now. I can't get work. I don't, I mean, I had to move to a town where I don't know anybody in order to have a safe place to live. Um, this is not what most people's idea of success is. But all they see is that you're someone prominent in the feminist community in some way, and that puts a target on your head. And I've sort of started to realize this is true about a lot of the women that I really admire and look up to as well. I always see them as like, oh, if only I could be like her, my life would be amazing. Like, she's my role model. I want to be just like that. And 
we don't realize that a lot of these women who are doing this hard work, their lives are not glamorous. Like just because they have a lot of followers on Twitter or they have a big platform does not mean that they have a glamorous life, that all of their needs are taken care of, that they even have health insurance. Like I don't have health insurance. Like, you know, a lot of people's basic needs are still not being taken care of. And yet because we have a platform, we're seen as so successful that there's no harm in attacking that person because she's so successful. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and you know, it's interesting because I wonder why women or feminists wouldn't want other women to be successful. You know, I feel like it's like we're sort of, and I do this all the time too, it's like you're supposed to kind of feel bad for any success that you do have and almost as though you don't deserve it. And to me, it's like, I don't want, like, of course, there's so many women in the world who are struggling and in poverty and marginalized and so on and so forth. But I want women to have success. You know, I want women to have health insurance and I want women to, (laughs) you know, have money to pay their rent and to have like an enjoyable life. Like it's like, it's almost like we in the feminist movement want other women or, or expect other women to be kind of suffering all the time. And, you know, if they're perceived as not suffering enough, or like you say, if they're perceived as having some level of success, we have to quickly tear them down and destroy them. I completely agree. I think there's probably two things that I see there. The first is exactly what you said, that women need to be suffering. And I think it's particularly strong in the women's movement versus just like, you know, women out in the world in general, because when you're successful in the women's movement, and this is something that women long before me have said, it's not my idea, but then you're perceived as um, profiting off the backs of women's suffering. And that is, of course, you know, like a big no-no, like you should not be profiting off the backs of women's suffering. And when you put it that way, it sounds really bad. Um, but what's, you know, a, a alternative narrative to that is that women's labor is completely undervalued all across all levels of society. And the women's movement is just another aspect of undervaluing women's labor that we have to do for each other. And wouldn't a more feminist perspective be all of the women in the movement should be like getting compensated in some way for the work that we are putting into this. That's my dream to be able to like pay a bunch of women to write. Um, that's why even though 4W, like you can go look at my Patreon. I make $500 a month on 4W and about half of that goes to paying my writers who contribute. I don't pay them a lot of money, but I pay them what I can because I think it's important that women's labor is compensated. Um, But then the other side of it that I see is I think there's a big aspect of jealousy. And I'm not sure how much of this is women specific or just human nature. Um, And I know this because I feel it in myself all the time and I have to constantly fight it. Um, You, for example, are like you're one of my role models. And sometimes like initially when I was getting started out trying to like get 4W going or something, I would look at Feminist Current and feel like a ping of jealousy. Like, oh, God, like, why can't I be like that? How does she do it? Like, why am I not like that? And I wanted to be like you. And there's this ping of jealousy. And I, at one point I saw someone who was, this was after Spinster had already been up and running, but I saw someone had made a new feminist social media platform where you're able to talk about gender ideology. And it was really similar in a lot of ways to Spinster. And I had a ping of like, 
why are you taking my thing? And uh, like, that's just a, and I honestly, if you even felt that about 4W when you first learned about it, I would not be shocked or hold that against you. Cause it's like, why are you taking my thing? Like, this is my thing that I do. And there's so few resources available to women in terms of financial compensation or like any sort of resources that we're all just like grasping for scraps here from the patriarchy. So when I saw that other woman who was making this project, my first response or my like initial emotional response was like, why are you doing that? Stop it. You're hurting me by doing this other thing. I realized that was petty and I challenged myself. What if instead you helped her? Like you have experience doing this thing. What if instead you offered that advice to her? And so I did. I got on a call with her and we had like a brainstorming session and I told her like her site was getting attacked by trans activists and I told her a lot of the security things we had learned from Spinster about how to protect our website. And then I like posted some content on her website and created an account and tried to like help give it a boost. And I like shared it on my social media platforms and stuff. And that felt in the end so much better than if I had like taken to attacking her because she was copying me. Like, I should be honored that she wants to do something similar. And if there are two radical feminist social media websites out in the world, how is that a bad thing? But there is this really natural ping when you see a woman doing something that you think you can do or you are doing or you wish you were doing of hating that woman for it because you want to be doing that instead. And you imagine what your life would be if you were doing that, what she's doing. And it's all a myth. It's all a myth, and it just pits us against each other. Right. Yeah, I think there is a lot of competition, and then maybe, like, you know, you see somebody with a platform doing what you want to be doing, but they're not doing it in the way that you want it. You, you know, you think it should be done, and you could be doing it better, and why does this, mm-hmm. like, B-I-T-C-H get, like, <laughs> all the credit for doing this? I could do this right. better, and why isn't anybody giving me the platform? <laughs> like, yeah. all this stuff, yeah. like... And my challenge to people who feel that happening in themselves is then do it. Like, then do it. Like, what is stopping you? None, like, it's probably the same things that, like, we all are facing. You say, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't, like, none of us have the time. None of us have the money. Like, you find a way to do it. And it, anyone, I, I try to think of it this way. Like, anyone who wants to trash me because they don't like how I'm doing it, please do it better like yeah. please honestly because that would be a benefit to the movement and i would support you if you did yeah that's what i always say too is it you know the people who who trash me and attack me i just sort of am like well you do it then like go do something else you don't like the way i'm doing it like i'm just one person i can't mm-hmm. be everything for everybody so inevitably you're going to disagree with some of the things that I do and some of my opinions and the way that I want to do things. So go do something else different. That's great. Like the more, the merrier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to me how uh, uncommon that idea has become in feminism. The more, the merrier. That should be exactly it. But now it's like, not like destroy her or tear her down, kick her out. Like let's stop supporting her platform. It's like, no, just like create your own platform and like and it is hard like it is a lot of work and like you know I've been through hell I'm sure you've like it's not been easy for you obviously it's not been you lost your job for goodness sakes like right you know um so it it's really hard and sort of some and sometimes I wonder if it's that 
they know that if they do do something different or if they try to create a platform, you know, like we have or like other women have or they, you know, whatever, they try to create anything that they'll be treated the way that we have been. And they Absolutely. must know on some level that that's really hard to take. And it's and it's maybe not for everybody, you know, maybe yeah. everybody's not in a position in terms of, you know, their you know, mental health or like you mm-hmm. got to be pretty like together to be able to like handle all this shit. And I can't even handle it all the time, you know? Oh like... yeah. Same. I take major breaks because like I cannot sometimes. Yeah. 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 So it's no, but like... I think you're right. It's like, it's like a threat that's posed and you see, or even participate in doing it to other women. And then that creates this like cultural sort of implied threat. If you succeed, this will happen to you too. And it, this is like maybe a stretch of a comparison, but it reminds me about how I think in a lot of cities, um, homeless individuals are kind of kept on the streets semi-intentionally as like a threat. Like as you're walking to your nine to five job that you hate, or as you're walking to your degrading job as a like hotel mate, which I've done that job. So no shit on those people. But uh, if like as you're walking to those jobs, you pass people who have it worse than you. And I think that that serves culturally as a reminder. You have to do this. You have to stay in line. You cannot unionize. You cannot do the things that put your job at risk because this is what will happen to you. And those people serve as like just a cultural threat and this like implied risk that's there. It could be worse if you don't stay in line. And I think that that's a little bit of what the purpose that trashing serves in the women's movement is it's this like culturally implied threat. This will happen to you if you don't stay in line. And it works because these women just end up either participating in these mobs or they end up just staying silent. And I don't think that being silent is helpful in these situations. I think if you're not willing to speak out against the mob, then I think the purpose of this is a lot of the times to make women the target of the trashing feel isolated. And so I think it's really important that when we see someone get trashed, that we reach out to them. If you can do it publicly, great. If you don't feel safe to do that, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hold that against you right now. But at least reach out privately. And this is something I've tried to do every time I see a woman get trashed online. I try to just send a, sh- a quick like, hey, I saw this was happening to you. Whether or not I agree with what you said or whatever started this, like, I think, you know, I support you. Um, and I noticed some people started doing that back with me, um, asking questions, even if you see something happen, this is something that you did with me that I really appreciated. Um, you saw me getting trashed for this one situation that was happening on spinster. And rather than jump on the bandwagon, you emailed me and said, Hey, what's going on with this? And like that little action, there were so many people who were talking about this situation. You were the only one who emailed me to ask and get an actual, like honest truth about it. Um, and I don't see why we can't do that more. Even if you're not willing to take on the mob, privately reach out to the women you see this happening to. Provide some support. Yeah. Yeah, it's really odd. I mean, uh, you know, because I'll see, I'll see threads that are, you know, trashing me or whoever. I really, I've for so long, I've really tried to just stay out of those kinds of circles. I don't like to see it or get involved or even necessarily know what they're talking about I just would prefer to just focus on my own work but like um I just think it's so toxic and exhausting 
Um, but, uh, you know, I'll see people talking shit about me, um, and people on the thread will be like, what? She did what? Really? Like, they'll be like, yeah, and act all kind of sad about it. Like, oh, isn't it sad that we've lost Megan to whatever it is? So disappointed in her. (laughs) And, uh... You know, and they're like, wow, I didn't, I've not seen that, but, but I believe you. And I was like, wait a minute. Your response is, I've not seen that. Like, where is this happening? I didn't know this was going on, but actually I just believe you no matter what. And these are women that, you know, like I've sort of known online for a long time. And it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you just send an email, um, and say like, Hey, is this true? Like, hey, what's going on there? Like, what are these people talking about? Or whatever, instead of just being like, oh, she's bad? Okay, she's bad. I'm glad we all decided this. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I've sort of decided to take this approach to trashing, at least personally. I know that other women probably have their own coping mechanisms, but the approach that I've decided to take, I'm calling emotional passivism, um, it's not a term I, I thought I invented it, then I Googled it and found that other people had used it first. Um, but my the way that I've decided to handle all this is the way I see it is there are like three main ways that people handle trashing. It's they drop out of the movement entirely, they trash back and then and start getting defensive. And that's when you start to see these like major warring factions happening on Twitter is when you trash back publicly. Um, or you can just try to ignore it. Now, ignoring, I think, in sort of a passive way can sometimes be harmful because, you know, if you are being accused of something, a lot of times people say, oh, if you're ignoring it, then you don't care, so it must be true, and, you know, it's taken as an admission of guilt. And so what I have tried to do for myself, which I have found, it's at least helpful to have a framework, is try to take a nonviolent approach to my communication and like nonviolent communication. I'm not saying words are violence. (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) but nonviolent communication is a form of communication that's been used in a lot of like social justice and nonprofit circles for a while. And so I think that taking an approach to it, that it, you're not actively engaging in trashing. Like I have a policy. I will never trash a woman back. Like whatever she says about me, I will not trash her personally back. I might address the larger concern. So if someone says spinster is XYZ and Mary Kate's a fascist and she's a total Nazi who hates whatever, that I'm not going to say, well, no, you're actually blah, blah, blah. And you're only attacking me because you're jealous. But like, I'm not going to get in with it with her, but I might address the larger concern and say, uh, well, this is actually what spinster is. And here's our moderator handbook that's public and you can review. And, you know, I'll address the larger thing without engaging on the sister trashing. Um, and I think that that approach to it has really helped me because now that I've set this rule for myself, like always in the back of your head when someone like starts talking shit on you online, maybe maybe you're less petty than me, but I can't help but feel that like, you get these little ideas of stings that you could post online and you're like, oh, that would be so good. Oh, I could totally get them that way. Like, oh, I could burn them so good that way. And you like want to say these things to try to like one up them. Um, And it's tempting to do. It really is. And like, I've done it in the past, like before I started doing this rule and it just leads to more toxicity because then they're going to sting you back. And now you're in a trashing war and now there's warring factions and now your community's divided and now you're too busy fighting each other to fight patriarchy and it's not helpful. So setting this rule for myself, no trashing back emotional passivism has, 
I think it's been really helpful. And honestly, I want to encourage a lot of other women in the movement to do this when it's possible for them, because I think that we need to end this cycle of trashing. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Joe Freeman's essay. Um, I actually, I mean, I've read it obviously a few times Mm-hmm. over the years trashing the dark side of sisterhood and I read it again actually before our interview just to refresh and I mean we've talked about all these things so I just wanted to actually read from it for for people who haven't read it and it's online for anyone who wants to look it up and it's it's quite good and I think we should all reread it pretty regularly to remind <laughs> ourselves to stop doing this have it bookmarked <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she writes trashing is not only destructive to the individuals involved but it ser- serves as a very powerful tool of social control the qualities and styles which are attacked become examples other women learn not to follow lest the same fate befall them this is not a characteristic peculiar to the women's movement or even to women. The use of social pressures to induce conformity and intolerance for individuality is endemic to American society. The relevant question is not why the movement exerts such strong pressures to conform to a narrow standard, but what the standard does it pressure but what the standard does it pressure women to conform to. Um, the standard is closed clothed in the rhetoric of revolution and feminism, but underneath are some very traditional values about women's proper roles. I've observed that two different types of women are trashed. The first one is described by Anselma del Olio, um, and that's the achiever and or the assertive woman, the one to whom uh, male identified is commonly applied. This kind of woman has always been put down by our society with, with, <laughs> with like, caught by calling them things like unladylike to castrating bitch. Um, the primary reason there have been so few great women is not merely that greatness has been undeveloped or unrecognized, but that women exhibiting potential for achievement are punished by both women and men. The fear of success is quite rational when one knows that the consequence of achievement is hostility and not praise. Sorry, I stumbled over a couple of lines there, but uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's uh, it's so funny to me that, not, I mean, I don't know, funny is the right word, but it's interesting <laughs> to me that this has been going on for so many decades, like you say, this this is a, a second wave essay, This you know, this kind of stuff was happening back in the 70s, and it really destroyed a lot of women in that, that movement, in the radical feminist movement back in the second wave, and it, it's quite sad, and and I think it, I think it's worse today because of social media and because it's so easy to just post something publicly online and then so easy for that to get shared everywhere and so easy yes. for us to dehumanize one another because we're, we're not together, you know, we're communicating so much online and so we kind of stop seeing one another as real human people, which has an enormous impact, I think, on our engagement and our ability to kind of empathize and treat one another with respect. Yeah, absolutely. At least in the past, the trashing was sort of necessarily limited to the group of people who knew you or their friends or, I mean, you could go six degrees of separation, but it wasn't this like massive global pile on that could happen overnight. And yeah, I think it 
it's become a lot more pervasive. And of course, it does still continue to happen in the small groups that exist. I know, I'm not going to name names, but I know a lot of organizations that I really admire and look up to, I hear the things that are happening in those organizations. And these are women who do know each other face to face and are organizing politically and on a in real life level. And so it's not just online, it's something that's really endemic to the movement. Um, something that was quoted in don't remember actually if it was this article or another one that I read, but it's uh, T. Grace Atkinson who said, sisterhood is powerful. It kills sisters. Yeah, it is from that essay. It, yeah, she is it, Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that just hit me because it it's hard to really talk about the real impact that this can have on you emotionally without, you know, being gaslit, saying like, well, you're taking it too seriously. You need to have a thicker skin, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that a lot of us who do this work have really thick skin. I don't think you get to the point that like you're talking publicly under your own name with your own face about transgenderism without getting a thick skin. Um, and certainly I feel really used to a lot of attacks coming at me from a lot of places. I'm really used to people I considered friends turning on me publicly stating that they disowning me, etc. cetera. Um, but when it comes from within the movement, it really is so much more hurtful. And uh, Joe talks about this as well. She talks about how you need women's liberation. This is something that like is so personal to you and you really desperately need it that you become vulnerable to the movement in a way that you're not necessarily to everything outside of that movement. Because this is supposed to be the thing that like saves you, that fixes your world, you know? Yeah. And so when it comes from your sisters, people who are supposed to be aligned with you. It really is. It's so much more hurtful. And um, I can't say I know that it has literally killed anyone, but I know that it's cutting them out of the movement. And I know that it is really emotionally hurting women in the same way that emotional abuse can really have serious impacts on women and on anyone. Um, But I do think that there's a lot of replication of patterns of emotional abuse that we're seeing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Like, it's, uh, I mean, I'm used to being attacked all the time from all over the place, but it is particularly, you know, I, it doesn't bother me so much if it's, you know, strangers or your enemies, you know, because mm-hmm. you're like, of course you hate me. Um, but, uh, yeah, when it's coming from within the movement and women who are supposed to be kind of on the same side, it is particularly, like, upsetting. Um, and,. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that it's sort of hard to talk about because if you talk about it, sometimes you... I mean, I've been accused of whining. (laughs) That's not sexist. No, and it's like, I mean... It's just like, what am I? What? Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Pretend that you're you're, you're a not human and it doesn't affect you, and then you're like, a but then you're bitch. a stone cold bitch. Yeah. yeah. Um. And you can't win. No, no, you can't win. And I guess I mean, what was the other thing I was gonna say? I um, I think I've totally forgotten. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember. I, I mean. I sort of think it, I mean, I think that's why there is a bit of a problem with becoming overly dependent on feminism. So I think that, I think that it is important and I'm open to being challenged on this, but I think that it's really important that we do remember that feminism is a political movement. 
So we should have particular goals and aims and work toward those the, towards those goals. And having that mentality enables us to work with people that we don't like or that we disagree with because you're working together for a political goal. It, like to me, it, the idea that this should be kind of self-help, um, that this should save you, that this should be your sisterhood, that all of your friends should be in the movement, that's... It's too much pressure to put on something that's supposed to affect political change, you know, that we're supposed yeah. to be trying to change laws and policies. Um, and, you know, and of course, change women's lives as a result um, and to protect women from male violence and from exploitation and from marginalization. Um, but, you know, when we start treating it as something that yeah something that's supposed to save us that's supposed to fix all our problems i think that actually is is quite dangerous because it's not feminism isn't going to fix all your problems yeah i completely agree that's something that i really had to come to terms with pretty quickly after getting back into the feminist movement and at this point i really tried to challenge myself to not i adopt a political ideology that i have as an identity and I mean, I, I am a feminist. I'm never going to say that I'm not. I'm a radical feminist, depending on who you ask. <laughs> and I'm never going to say that I'm not. Um, but you're right. Like, I really had to try to make that not my everything. Because anything that you make your everything like that, if you have one person in your life that you're fully, completely emotionally dependent on, that will always fail you. No one person can be that. and No one group can be that. No one movement can be that. You have to diversify your life. You have to have other things. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's, um, <laughs> so it reminds me what you were saying earlier. And I actually, I forget specifically what it was that you said, but, uh, the criticism that comes from within it sometimes it comes from your friends and I think that people who are genuinely your friends will criticize you differently than people who you know but like are not really genuinely your friends um so I recently discovered this disapproval matrix which looks at um sort of this range of behaviors that people can have when they disagree with you and it basically argues that there's people who know you to people who don't know you and then there's people who are behaving rationally to irrationally and when someone who knows you and is criticizing you rationally they're behaving as a friend and this is someone who you should listen to this is probably criticism that's coming from a genuine place and they actually want to improve you improve your politics improve your life etc and so those sorts of criticisms are not necessarily trashing but then when you get into someone who like knows you but is behaving irrationally, then this is considered frenemy territory. And I think a lot of women in the movement are really falling into the frenemy category. And I don't want to just be saying all women are behaving irrationally because I think, you know, there could be different perspectives on that. But the, the way that the criticism is leveled is irrational. And so even though there are friends, there are Facebook friends, there are spinster friends, but they're not actually behaving as a friend in that moment. They're behaving more as a frenemy. And that's why this criticism feels more like trashing. And that's why this criticism is not coming from a place of genuinely caring about you and wanting to improve your life. It's coming from a place of something else, probably something internal to them, wanting to make themselves feel better by tearing someone else down or wanting to, you know, 
prove their uh, affiliation with another specific group or their loyalty to another specific group and get points for that. Um, but those people, even though they're our friends, they're not behaving as our friends in that moment. And I think that can be hard to reconcile with. Mm. Um, finally, is there anything that you think that we're not talking about that we should be talking about more? I'm kind of stealing this question from the trigonometry <laughs> trigonometry guys who interviewed me um, recently. And I thought it was a really good question and an important thing to, to think about. Yeah. So um, not necessarily specific to feminism, but it could be specific to feminism. It could just be something in general that you wish that we were having a conversation about that, that we aren't or, or perhaps not talking about enough. Yeah, I do think this is relevant to feminism, but I think it's also relevant to a lot of the broader cultural context that we're seeing right now. A lot of conversations about racism or any other forms of injustice, and that is empathy. I think that there's a major lack of acknowledging that another human being can have a different perspective than you on something and that does not make them inherently a shitty a horrible a whatever human being but trying to actually get to the point put yourselves in their shoes and try to actively step through their life to try to understand why they might have that idea and no of course not all ideas are equal some ideas are based on like rationality and science and some ideas are not <laughs> um some ideas are based in you know hate and some ideas are based in compassion and those things aren't equal but i think that for all people what we can equally do is try to imagine just being that person and try to imagine why they are saying the things that they're saying and assume some good faith and I think this is totally missing in the feminist movement. I think it's totally missing from, you know, the liberals versus the conservatives in the United States. Like, everyone assumes bad faith on the part of everyone. Everyone's evil. Everyone's just trying to intentionally hurt other people. And I don't think that's true. I think, and the assumption that if I just educate you, then you'll agree with me. When really, it's entirely possible that someone has the same information as you and they've chosen a different idea a different policy to support, et cetera. And what, what I realized, and I think this comes from really practicing empathy with my conservative family members, is that it's not a difference in information. It's not a difference in uh, good intentions or bad intentions, like good or evil. I think a lot of times it's a difference in values. And that's not to say, well, my values are good and your values are bad. I think that genuinely you can value two different things that each are independently worth valuing. Say, for example, family and community. And sometimes those values are at odds with each other. And so you have to pick one to prioritize. Sometimes what's best for your family is not best for your whole community. Some people choose to prioritize family and that might get them in trouble with people who prioritize community and vice versa. And I think that what we're seeing is just a total lack of people being willing to think about maybe you don't you know, deprioritize the community because you hate community members and you want them to die, maybe you value your family more. And you can disagree with that. You can say, well, that's an irrational value decision. But understand that it comes from almost all human behaviors, I think, come from a place of trying to protect the self, protect each other, protect the loved ones. And that's not an inherently hateful thing. And I, yeah, so I think empathy is really the main thing that's missing across all of this and I would like to make a big call out to empathy <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome I totally agree great answer 
Um, so remind us again where people can find you and how they can support your work if they would like to do that. Yes, so I am on Twitter. You can find me there at M-K-A-Y underscore Fane. Um, You can also, of course, find me on Spinster. I'm M-K there. You can also support me on Patreon, and that goes directly to supporting 4W, Radical Feminist Writing, and our writers from across the globe. And uh, all of those links you can find from my various social media accounts. Cool. It was awesome to talk to you. It was great to see your face. Thanks <laughs> yeah, for you coming too. on the same drugs. I really yeah, enjoyed this Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> cool. Well, have an awesome night. We'll be in touch Thanks. soon. Yeah, you too. Okay, All right. bye. Talk to you. Bye. <laughs> I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and are enjoying the other interviews and the content we're producing, please do consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com slash Megan Murphy and sign up. Five, ten, twenty-five bucks a month. It all helps. We rely entirely on supporters and donors like you to keep doing this work. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time on The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy.